Welcome to our online messages. Today we'll be in the book of Luke, chapter 22, discussing the significance of Jesus' conversation with his disciples at the Last Supper. What I want to do this morning is I want us to consider Jesus. I want us to consider his story together, especially because we're two weeks away from Easter, or sometimes at Willamette Community Church, we call it Resurrection Sunday. Big day because of big meaning. Our God reigns. Jesus Christ, who was crucified, was raised to life. He is alive today, and I want us to consider him. I want to share a message with you today, and it's entitled, The Fight for Faith. The Fight for Faith. I want you to look at the person sitting next to you and say, I'm in a fighting mood. (laughs) Some of you may have already known that, right? (laughs) That's one of the reasons I wake up before my wife even wakes up on Sunday mornings. I just don't want to even have that potential of a fighting mood. But we're going to talk about a fight today. We're going to talk about that. I'm going to ask that you grab your Bibles with me, and I just want to show you a few things, and then we're going to take communion together first this morning. Luke chapter 22, page 881, if you follow along in the Bible sitting in front of you. Just want to share a few thoughts, then I want us to take communion as we do at the beginning of each month, and then after communion, I'll talk more about the fight for faith, the fight for faith. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, as we are about to open your word, we ask that, Holy Spirit, you help us to see and to hear that you help us do that. This is not just a story, but this is your story. It's the story. And we need you to enlighten our hearts, our minds, and our eyes that we could receive today what you would have for us. And as we reflect on your son, Jesus, we ask that you would make us sensitive to what you're doing in us. So guide our time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 22. Let me read a few verses starting at verse 1 says this, Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put Jesus to death, for they feared the people. just want you to get a glimpse of the story that we're in. The, the chief priests, the, the ones who were running the synagogue, they want to put Jesus to death. This is just around the corner. Actually, it happens the next day. Jesus was taking part of a feast to remember. He's taking part of a feast to remember, and he knows that he is going to die. He knows that this is happening. It's happening in less than 24 hours. And this would become a very memorable feast. Sometimes we call this the Last Supper for Jesus. But this was the annual Jewish feast. They would gather together every year, and they would, it was a feast to remember the rescue of God. Would you write these words down? The feast to remember the rescue of God. Every year they'd get together, and they would remember that God has rescued. From this feast, and from some of the words we'll see, we get our idea of communion. But if you saw in there in the first couple words, it said the word Passover, Passover. This was and it is an ancient Jewish feast where they would remember God rescuing the nation of Israel from Egypt. Israel had been in slavery to Egypt for years. This story, write this down, is found in Exodus chapter 12. 
I want you to go back and read some of this story if you're not familiar with it. But God is going to rescue the nation of Israel, and after he does, he tells them every year, get together and remember this feast, or remember this event by having a feast. And so the idea is you're going to celebrate. You're going to celebrate by eating. You're going to remember your rescue from oppression. And the central component at the feast would be lamb. Some of you were wondering what that was. This is lamb. And lamb would be at the center of the table. In Exodus chapter 12, it said, here's what we're going to do. God said, I want you to go and sacrifice a lamb. And here's what's going to happen. I am going to judge the nation of Egypt and all their false gods. I am going to do this, and I want you to believe me on this one. I want you to take a lamb, and I want you to sacrifice it. You're going to eat it, but I want you to take the blood of the lamb, and I want you to put it on your doorposts. And if you believe me, you'll do this. This is going to sound weird, but I want you to take this blood, put it, in essence, over your family, and what's going to happen is an angel of death is going to pass through Egypt. It's going to pronounce judgment on all their false gods. But when I see the blood of the lamb, I will pass over your home. I will not bring judgment to your home. If you believe me on this one, if you put the lamb, blood of the lamb over your home, I will pass over you. Thus we get the word Passover. Now go to verse 14 if you would. When the, hour had, uh, when the hour came, he reclined at a table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, this is going to be the last time I eat this meal with you. We've been eating it every year for the last few years together. But this one, I'm not going to eat it again until I eat it in the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. They don't know if that's next year or when. But the idea is that Jesus says, I'm going to eat it again when all the fulfillment of what this is all about has come to happen. You see, we would sit there and eat lamb, and we remembered that a lamb was shed for us, and we eat this lamb. And we had four cups, and they would traditionally have these four cups, and they would tell a story, and this would be a feast. And it wouldn't be just a short meal that you eat in the car and run. This would be a feast where they would tell the story how God has rescued his people. And so they would eat lamb and tell the meaning of lamb. They would eat bitter herbs and remember that slavery was bitter. And they would drink cups of wine, and they would remember the different ways that God had rescued Jesus says, I'm going to eat it again, but not until it's the meaning of this is completely fulfilled. Verse 17, look at this. And it says, he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. This was part of it as well. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying... This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, here's another cup, that after they had eaten, he said, this cup is poured out for you, for it, this cup poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now they had heard about a new covenant. 
Jesus says it's happening now. Let me take you back about 600 years even before that. Let me show you the words of Jeremiah. You write this passage down, Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah, behold, the days are coming. This is 600 years before Christ. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares, their, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, You need to know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Jesus says, We're going to drink another cup, and this cup is this new covenant. And this is it, the forgiveness of your sins. It's going to be my bloodshed. They still didn't get this. They knew some of these words of Jeremiah, but they didn't get this. Jesus said the time is coming today around this table, just around the corner. You see, God had always been orchestrating all humanity, what Jesus was about to do, paying for our sins. Now, each month when we take communion, what we do is we, we don't eat a meal, do we? Sometimes we call it the Lord's Supper, and you're thinking, man, that's not much of a supper. I mean, I get a little piece of bread and a little sip of juice, not a supper. We take two items that are a symbol of this. piece of bread, which Jesus said is a picture of my body broken for you, and a cup of juice that is a picture of my blood poured out for you. And so today we're going to do this, but today we've added one more piece. I'm going to ask you in just a minute, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, to come up here and grab a piece of bread and to grab a cup of juice, but also to come up here and get a piece of lamb. Because this was a meal, and they ate lamb. And it was precious because they were remembering, oh, some lamb had to sacrifice, and this was good. It was part of our rescue. Today, I'm going to ask you to grab a piece of lamb, a piece of bread, and a cup of juice because Jesus was the Lamb of God that was sacrificed for us. Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so in just a moment, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you believe that Jesus is your Savior from your sin, I'm going to invite you to come to one of these two stations or one of the two in the back. Take the bread, take the lamb, take the cup and go back to your seat. And I'm going to ask you not to eat at this time. Just go back to your seat. And I want you to remember, I want you to remember that there was a lamb that was sacrificed for you. There was a body that was broken for you. There was blood that was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Don't eat, just, the worship team's going to play a song over us and I, I'm just going to ask that you reflect. Let this be a moment where you examine your heart and realize, you know what? I had sin and I have sin and I needed a Savior. I needed something to cover my sin. Just look at the elements, a lamb, actual lamb, bread that was, bro body that was broken for you.
blood that was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And as we have this somber moment where we think, okay, took the sinless Son of God for me, let it also be a celebratory moment. It's a moment where he says, I did this because I love you. I did this and your sins are forgiven. And so do this with this, man, this is difficult, but this is good. I'll come back up after we all are back in our seats with these three elements. And then together we will eat and drink together. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story that we are getting into. To remember your rescue. Our rescue from sin. Our deliverance from sin. And I ask that in the next few moments, you would speak to our heart. Help us to examine this past week confess our sin to you. God, maybe it's even this moment right now where somebody who's been waiting for this says, Jesus, I turn my life over to you today. And if that's you, I invite you to come up for the first time and take part of this. So God, help us to remember what you have done for us with somber hearts and with celebratory hearts. And we pray this. In the name of Jesus, the Lamb sacrificed for us, the reigning King. In his name we pray, amen. When they had the meal together, they ate lamb. And they would remember back and say, the lamb took our place. God had this idea that somehow seems weird, but a lamb would be sacrificed in our place, and they remembered it, and it was good. It's like, thank God for that plan, that our ancestors were passed over. And they were probably eating that and going, we do this every year, and we know the story. But Jesus, I wonder what Jesus was thinking that night when he was eating this. And he says, I'm the lamb. It had been said of Jesus about three years earlier, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And I imagine as they ate it, they said, We've done this before. And as he ate it, he said, I'm going to the cross tomorrow, and I'm paying for their sins tomorrow, and I'm taking on the wrath of God tomorrow. But he ate. And he willingly went to the cross. I'm going to ask that you eat a bite of this lamb, remembering your Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And they ate. They had bigger pieces than that. But they were like, that's good. Our God, he's victorious. And he is. And then Jesus said, we're going to eat unleavened bread as we always do every year. And they're like, oh, yeah, this is good. Again, it's a reminder. We went quickly. God rescued quickly. But Jesus this time said, this bread is 
picture of my body that will be broken for you. I don't know what he's saying, but we've done this every year. Let's do it again. But for Jesus, it meant something a little more. And so he said, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so let's eat in remembrance of Jesus and his broken body. And then that night he said, with this cup, let's take this cup. And this is that new covenant that was spoken of long in advance that God was going to do something new. He was going to do something new in our hearts. And he said, this is actually going to be my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Again, they're like, I'm not sure what he's talking about. But Jesus knew. And we look back and say, what a gift. And it's somber. It's like it took the shed blood of the sinless Son of God to cover your sins. But that's our victory too. And so he said, take this cup and drink this and do this in remembrance of me. Now after the feast, Jesus taught a brief message. I'm going to share a brief message with you because when he's done and maybe he has some tears in his eyes like I am right now, he says, I got a few more words and I, I just want to share some of those words that Jesus shared that night. Luke chapter 22, go to verse 21 if you would. He then said this, but behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man, and that was one of his favorite descriptions of himself, for the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. Verse 24, and a dispute also rose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And I look at this and I say, this is classic. Classic young guys with machismo complex, right? Okay, Jesus says, somebody at this table is going to betray me. Woe to that one. And they start going, it's not me. I'm too good for this. I could hear Peter. He was probably the first one that spoke. And he says, it's not going to be me. It just won't be me who betrays you. I mean, Jesus, you gave me the, my name was Simon, and you gave me the name Rock. I'm the new Dwayne Johnson around here. I'm in charge. And he's like, I'm not going to be the one who betrays. And I imagine his brother Andrew's like, come on, Peter. It might be you. If it weren't for me, you wouldn't even know this, Jesus. I'm the one who brought you to him. And I can see John and James sitting at the table and go, it's not going to be us. We're too good for this. He calls us the sons of thunder. He's given us a special name. I can hear John saying, wait a second, I'm the one Jesus truly loves. And they have this fight. Maybe one of the quiet guys go, well, if it's anybody, it won't be Judas Iscariot who betrays Jesus. Because Jesus, in the last couple of years, has entrusted the money with him. So he's probably safe. Jesus trusts that guy. And so they're just having this conversation. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? And I thought, they are in a fight, but it's the wrong fight, isn't it? You and I, we, we get in a lot of fights. Husbands and wives, we get in fights. We get in fights with our kids. We get in fights at church. 
We do. And we get in fights over the wrong things. And they're getting in fights here over the wrong things. This is not the fight for faith. This is a silly fight. Go to verse 25. Jesus said to them as they're fighting over who's the greatest, Jesus said, I want you to know that the kings of the nations... The kings over the Gentiles, they exercise lordship over their people. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. He just said, let's just do this simple thing. We understand that in the world we live, there's a power struggle. There's a fight. There is. There's always this fight in this world we live. At your workplace tomorrow, who's the greatest? In your home, who's the greatest? Verse 26, he said, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest, and the leader is the one who serves. For who's greater, guys? He asks him this question. Who's greater? The one who reclines at the table like we are, or the one who serves? And they're like, well, the ones at the table are the greater ones. We have our servants cleaning up after us. He goes, is it not the one who reclines at the table is the greater one? But I want you to know this. I am among you as one who serves. Certainly he would. He would wash their feet. He would go to the cross on their behalf. Verse 28. He says, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you, as my father assigned to me, a kingdom. I'm assigning to you a kingdom. You are great. I'm assigning to you a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. This is going to be good. I'm telling you, you get in on something. This is great news. Good times are coming. When we consider the Passover and how God brought good times, I'm telling you, good times are coming. And then he says this, verse 31. Look at this. Simon, Simon, talks to the outgoing one, talks to the leader. Simon, Simon, this is Peter. He says, behold, Satan demanded to have you. He says this, Satan demanded to have all you guys actually at the table. Satan demanded to have all of you that he might sift all of you like wheat. Now the Passover, it was serious. But it probably got familiar at times. But for Jesus, it was very serious. He knows what this lamb symbolizes. He knows what this cup symbolizes. He understands this. And he says, here's the message I have for you. That Satan has demanded to have you. Our arch enemy, he wants you. He wants all of you disciples. I want to look at four words with you this morning briefly. And the first one is the word, the demand demand. Verse 31, look one more time with me. Satan has demanded to have all of you. There's going to be a fight for your faith and Satan is demanding this. The words of Jesus hopefully will catch your attention. Hopefully you see that they're serious. Hopefully you're even a bit scared by them that our arch enemy would demand to God to have the disciples of Jesus Christ. There's a powerful enemy. Jesus had said this. Write this passage down. John recorded this in John 10, verse 10. Jesus says, the thief, I want you to know, he comes to steal and kill and destroy. Not just mess with you a bit. 
to steal every good thing, to kill every good thing in you, to completely destroy you. That's all he can do. That's all he wants to do. This is serious. Now, there's good news in this, and you've got to know this, that Satan and God are not just opposite equals. There's not bad and good. There is one who created and one, the enemy who was created. Satan is not all-knowing like God is. Satan is not all-present like God is. But Satan and his armies are powerful, Jesus says here. And it should be encouraging to us that when it says Satan demanded to have you, the idea is that Satan doesn't get what he wants unless it goes through the hands of God Almighty. Consider this, write this down and look this up this week. Job chapter 1 and 2. The Satan has a conversation with God one day and he says, let me have Job. Let me test his faith. He says he believes in you uh, only because I think he only believes because you've blessed him. But let me have him. And God says, okay, you can touch his family. You can touch his body. But you cannot, or you can touch his family and you can touch his possessions. Just don't touch his life. So Satan says, okay, thanks. And he goes and he touches his family and destroys, and touches his possessions and destroys. And Job doesn't lose faith. Satan says, well, let me touch his body then. Then he'll lose faith. And God says, okay, you can touch his body now, but you can't have his life. And Job is inflicted with much pain. And as you read this long story, at the end of this, Job says, my God, my Redeemer lives. I don't get it all. He's bigger than what I thought. He's in charge. I am not. And at the end of the story, God gets all the glory. But this should encourage us that Satan doesn't get what he wants until it goes through the hands of Almighty God. Now, Peter, when he hears this, Satan has demanded to have you. I don't know what that means. A few years later, Peter writes to the church. He writes to Christians like you and me. And he writes this passage in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, church, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Not just play with, devour. You resist him firm in your faith. Firm in this faith. He's going to try to ruin your faith, but you be firm in this faith. I think Peter comes to this great understanding that, yes, we have an enemy, but I can fight him firm in my faith. Go back to verse 31, if you would. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. There's this fight for the faith. I want to talk about the process real quickly, the process of this fight. Satan has demanded, here's the process. Satan wants to sift his disciples. He wants to shake them. He wants to rattle their faith. He says, I want to shake them so bad that they fall through this sieve, that they would fall into my hands so that I could destroy them. That's all I know how to do. That's what I want for every single one. Jesus says, Peter, here's what you need to know. Disciples, here's what you need to know. Satan has demanded to have you that he would shake you, that he would sift you, that he would destroy your faith. Okay, this is serious. This is what the ancient evil dirtbag wants to do with every single one of us. He wants to steal your faith. So I started thinking about this, and I thought, okay, how does Satan and his army sift us? 
Let me just offer a few ideas. First one would be this, some physical challenges. Maybe Satan and his army goes before God and says, could I have this person and shake them by afflicting them physically? Can I take their possessions? Can I take their body? Can I hurt them because I want to destroy their faith? The Apostle Paul says this, there was a messenger of Satan who was sent to me. It became a thorn in my flesh. We don't know what that was, but it passed through the hands of God and he said, go ahead. You can touch their body. You can touch their physical realm. And maybe because of this, some of our illnesses happen. I I don't know exactly, but I know that Satan wants to sift us this way. But here's what I do know. When fiery trials come, true faith thrives. When the fiery trials come, true faith actually thrives. Satan doesn't get this. He thinks that when the fiery trials come, he can extinguish your faith. But what God has started in you, he will carry on to completion. And true faith actually thrives. Financial. It might be financial the way he sifts you. God, let me have their bank account. Let me destroy them this way because they're, they're putting too much stock and faith in this. Let me have this. And that might be part of our problems. It might be relational. God, let me, have, let me touch that relationship. Let me take that person away from them because then I, I wonder if they really trust you. I, really, I wonder if they have faith. I then started thinking about persecution. There's persecution throughout the history of time, right? Around the world. Satan, I imagine, says, oh, let me inflict through the government great persecution against these Christ followers. But what have we noticed over and over and over through persecution? When persecution attacks, true faith thrives. People don't all of a sudden just deny God. All of a sudden, true faith thrives. And Satan's like, that sift didn't work. I want to shake them again. And I started thinking, wait a second. You know what? We don't have that much persecution. We're the land of the free, the home of the brave. We get to meet today without any fear of persecution. So how might Satan want to sift us? I thought, well, what about with comfort? Could I give them comfort, God? Could I just bless them? And they'll call it a blessing. And what they'll do is they'll get fat and lazy and they'll have so much money and so many homes and so many vehicles that they never have to trust you because this is what I want. I want to destroy their faith. I'm not sure how God sifts every single one of us, but he does. Or not God, Satan. I don't know how he sifts us, but he does. Through God's permission, To get to our faith. Go to verse 31 one more time. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you all, that he might sift you all like wheat. Verse 32, what's it say? But I have prayed. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. This is the fight. This is the fight right here. This is the fight that Jesus fought for Peter's faith. By pleading to the Father. Our God who's infinitely more powerful than Satan. Jesus says this is where I know I'm going. I'm going to the Father who's infinitely more powerful. And Peter I want you to know I'm praying for you. That your faith may not fail. I'm taking it to the one who actually can sustain you through all of this. And Jesus prayed. And Jesus prays. 
He prays for you. Do you know this right now? Jesus prays for you. Write this passage down in Hebrews chapter 7. It says this in Hebrews chapter 7. Jesus is able to save completely to the uttermost. Those who draw near to God through him since he always lives. He always lives to do this, to make intercession for them. He always lives to pray for you. He hears the accuser say, look at them. They sinned this last week. Despise them. Throw them away. They're not followers. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. They're forgiven. They're forgiven. I see, devil, that you want to shake them. Demons, you want to shake them. But I'm praying for them that their faith may not fail. Jesus is praying for us. Can I get an amen? Amen. This is why the Apostle Paul, when he says, we're in a spiritual battle, put on faith, put on truth, and pray. Pray. Talk to the one who can do something about this. And so Jesus, what we see him doing is he's praying for his guys. He's praying for his bride. He's praying for the church. He's praying for his family. I'm going to ask right now the husbands in this room, if you're a husband, would you please raise your hand? Please raise your hand and then keep it up for a moment. Husbands, if you were told today that someone was going to, had a plan to steal, kill, and destroy your wife, I'm pretty sure I know what you'd do. You'd fight, amen? Amen. Keep your hands raised. You'd fight. Now Jesus prays for his bride. My question is, what are you going to do for your bride? You pray for your bride. Put your hand down and write this. I'll pray for my bride. Write this down. I will pray for my bride. Because there's a battle going on for her faith, and you pray for her. Wives, you write this down too. I'll pray for my husband, okay? There's a battle for his heart as well. There's a battle for his faith. Go ahead, wives. Write that down. I'll pray for my husband's faith. I'll pray for him. Let me ask you this. Raise your hand if you're a parent in this room. All right? Good to see. Let me ask you this. If you, as a parent, were told today, you got the text alert and it said, there is an attack on your kids. Someone wants to steal them today. Somebody wants to kill your kids today. Somebody wants to destroy your kids today. If you got that text alert, I'm telling you, I know you'd fight. Amen? Keep your hand raised, all right? You would fight. In fact, dads, I know this. If somebody was totally telling you that you're, someone was coming after your kids, your daughter, you'd go all Liam Neeson on them, right, with a particular set of skills, and you would go and fight for your daughters and your kids. Amen? Put your hands down and say, oh, I, will write, I will pray for my kids. I will pray for my kids. If you're a parent, write this down. Grandparent, then you got a couple generations to pray for. Pray for your kids. You see, Jesus prayed for his family. He says, Peter, I want you to know there's a great demand on your faith. He wants to, he wants to shake you, sift you. There's a demand, but I have prayed for you. Last word I want you to look at is the word faith. Faith. Verse 32, one more time with me, please. Follow along. But, love that word, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And Peter, when you have turned again, this is interesting, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Here's what Jesus knows. He knows that Peter's going to be sifted. 
He knows that Peter is going to actually fall. He's going to have a faith lapse for a moment. He'll be, I don't trust Jesus. I don't trust him. He knows that he'll have a faith lapse for a moment. But what God has started, he will carry on to completion. And he says this, Peter, here's what I know. You're going to fall. You're going to sin. But I also know this. You're going to return to me. You're going to change your mind. You're going to repent. And when you do, I want you to go back and encourage and teach the brothers. I like this. I think he's saying this. Here's what I know about you, church. You're going to fall. You're like, well, I did this last week. Yeah, it happens. Probably going to fall in ways you know and ways you don't know even this next week. You'll sin. You'll have faith lapses. But the great news is this, that Jesus is praying for us. He is, and what is in his hands, nothing can escape. Can I get an amen to that? He says, I got you in my hands. I'm praying for you, and no one can take you out of my hands. So here's my question. Who's your faith in? Is it in you, or is it in Jesus? Because every faith fall begins when we trust in me over Jesus. You want me to say that again? Every faith fall begins when I start trusting me over Jesus. Peter, when hearing this, he's like, but Jesus, I'll die for you. I'd go to prison for you. Immediately, Peter says that. And Jesus says, you're trusting in yourself. You're not trusting in me. You're trusting in yourself. And I'm just telling you right now, you're going to fall. You're going to have a faith lapse. You're going to sin. You're actually going to deny me three times before the morning because you're going to trust in yourself and not me. So what? So what does this mean for us? I want you to know that there is a fight for our faith. Fight for your faith. There is a fight for your faith. There is a fight for your faith. Is my faith in me? It's hard to tell sometimes. Is, there a, is my faith in me? I'll ask you, there's a nice way to find out if your faith is in you, and it's the word prayerlessness. If you're not talking with God, if you're not depending on God, you're trusting in yourself, your faith is in you. Am I trusting in me? It'll play out in prayerlessness. Is my faith in Jesus? Here's the proof. It will result in prayerfulness. Prayerfulness. So are we spending time with God, or are we spending time without Him? I want you to, my brothers and sisters, I want you to pray this week. I want you to pray every week, but this week is we have a week of prayer. I want you to spend time in prayer. I want you to pray on your own, but I want you also to pray with us. You received a card, and it has what we're going to pray through on the front and the back, and you can pray some of this on your own, but I ask that you join us. I'm not going to say this next part to sound extra holier than thou, but tomorrow's my day off, but I'm going to be here at 6 a.m. praying because I know there's a fight for faith. There's a fight for your faith. There's a fight for my faith. There's a fight for faith for my family, for this church. I'm going to be in this fight. Pray, my brothers and sisters, this week. Satan and his army, they're going to God the Father and say, I want them. I want you. They're saying that. Saying, God, let me sift them. Let me shake them. Here's what I know. Jesus is praying for us. Will we join him? 
will we join him? We started this season of prayer with a passage in Luke chapter 5, verse 16. It says that Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This is where he'd go. He'd just say, you know what? I know I'm busy. I, got no, I know I've got a full schedule. But he'd go away and, and pray. And sometimes it was just to commune with the Father and say, wow, thank you. That was good. And sometimes it was like, this is a battle. I need your help. And sometimes he would go away and pray, and he'd pray for us. And I'm going to ask you this week to carve time out of your schedule and say, I need to have time with my God. And I need to do this with my church family as well. And so let's be people this week who join Jesus in the fight for faith. Are you up for that? Nod your head if you're up for that. You up for that? Join us Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Tuesday night we're going to have a great time praying and worshiping in here. That will be a great time as well. But let's join Jesus in the fight for faith this week. I'm going to ask that you stand up and pray with me. I want to say a few prayers, and I want you to repeat them after me. Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, I see. There's a fight for my faith. Father in heaven, I confess. I trust myself too often. Father in heaven, I ask that you'd grow me in prayer. Father in heaven, I ask you help me to join you in the fight for faith. Father in heaven, I declare you are the victorious one. Praise and honor belong to you. Praise and honor belong to you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time with this family today. And what the enemy wanted to do with those disciples as they ate that feast in, in the rest of their days, the same ancient enemy wants to harm us, sift us. And Jesus, I thank you that you are praying. As the victorious one, you are praying on our behalf. Thank you. And I'm glad that you're not going to stop. I don't have to beg you to keep praying. I just know you will. And I'm asking today that you help me and my brothers to join, and my sisters to help you to join you in this this week. Because there's a fight not only for our faith, but for our kids, for our families, for this church, for this community. Help us as we spend time with you to withdraw, to pray, to confess, to praise you, to give thanks, but to join you in the fight for our faith. God, thank you for hearing us. Thank you for answering us and being mighty to save. We love you. 
And we commit all this to you in Jesus' powerful name. And all God's people say, Thank you for spending some time with us today to look into God's Word. Join us again next week as we continue our study. 